I love, I love the way that you love one another. I love the way that you greet one another. I love how difficult it is to kind of pull everything back together. That's a, a marked sign of God's grace uh, that is among us. Uh, we're going to continue uh, with our study of the book of Revelation. This is week two. Uh, and I want to begin uh, by sharing a story with you that's probably familiar to a lot of parents in the room. So, um, you're either a parent or a child, so this will probably hit somewhere on your radar. Uh, it was 2000-something, uh, probably the early 2000s, and I was, the scene was uh, a McDonald's play place, and uh, I noticed that my daughter, uh, who gave me permission to share the story, uh, was picking her nose, honestly, a little bit more than normal. I mean, you know, there's, there's a little bit of that that's to be expected when you parent a toddler, but she seemed to uh, be favoring that quite a bit. And um, me, I, I was kind of just out of it, you know, I mean, I was probably a new dad at that point, and I wasn't really that engaged. And I remember my wife just kind of casually asking my daughter if there was maybe something stuck in her nose. Um, and that was a great question to ask. And um, she just began to pull it out of my daughter that, um, you guys know Polly Pockets, Right. So, so, yeah, so Polly Pockets are these little miniature figurines, uh, and even smaller than that are the little accessories that go along with them, and uh, it turned out that she had stuck uh, a Polly Pocket shoe uh, as far as humanly possible uh, up her nostril, and so um, as I figured that out, then I just, like, then, like, panic started to kind of go in, and I, I started, I think I literally picked her up and, and started my own game of operation that was kind of just like on the McDonald's play place table, and I was trying to use a light so that I could see what was up there, um, and if you know anything just about anatomy, I don't know a lot, but I mean, you know, a, a kid's finger fits fine in their nose, a parent's finger's not going up there, um, so what we did was very calmly, as calmly as possible, carry her out to the car, took her back to the apartment that we were living in at the time, and uh, just began to experiment on her, quite honestly. Uh, what, what could we do to, to try to get this little shoe out? And I was just having these visions that she's going to somehow inhale it. Uh, it turns out that that had been up there for like two weeks, and we had no idea. Um, and so finally... Um, a bobby pin became like the, the tool that was the extractor. So if you are a new parent, keep bobby, hands, or bobby pins on uh, close at hand. Um, I tell that story, um, that's probably a weird segue for the book of Revelation. Um, I tell it because uh, in a real way, um, it's a story about fighting to see what's unseen, right? And what... <laughs> I know, I know, but maybe you'll remember this, okay? So fighting to see what is unseen, and what is unseen has a dramatic effect on actually how you walk out your life. So um, the book of Revelation can be this daunting task for us. And so, but most of it is about bringing the unseen realities of who Jesus is into the situations that we walk through each and every day. We talked about this last week, that the book of Revelation is not just primarily a book about the future, although it does have some future elements in it. It is an unveiling of who Jesus is, and who Jesus is in particular for the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in each and every day. And so uh, this morning we want to fight 
Um, and we want to ask the Spirit to open our eyes to that which is unseen. And uh, we're going to look at verses 9 through 20 this morning. And there's this vision of Jesus that begins to shape and build the church. And actually, um, these verses and this picture of Jesus is going to kind of be a picture that takes us through the next couple of chapters. And so, if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? We're going to read Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read verses 9 through 20. And the reason that we stand up is because these are the most important words that will be spoken here today. These are the only words that are authoritative and inerrant. And so we want to place ourselves underneath these words. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And from his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, let's pray. Father, just hearing that description of you in many ways simultaneously brings us comfort and fear. In many ways that's appropriate as we realize who we are apart from you. I pray that by the conclusion of our time together, that this picture will bring us great comfort and great joy as we see you as you are, not some picture that we've conjured up in our mind. I pray that you would cause your power and your mercy to rest on us as your people, and I pray that it would make a difference in the situations um, that we find ourselves in each and every day. For the sake and the fame of Jesus, in his name we pray, amen. So this is a picture of Jesus. It can seem distant and it can seem remote to us. But this is a picture of Jesus that's meant to 
fuel endurance for us. John um, says very clearly in verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. That's the first thing we're going to look at this morning. Our patient endurance of tribulation with Jesus. If there's anything that the Christian life is, it is a walk in a journey in patient endurance, right? I mean, all you have to do is live long enough and you will see your need for endurance. Um, You may be in a situation right now where you don't know how you're going to go forward. Um, If that's not where you are, this also will be a sermon that will prepare you when you come up against those things, things that you don't understand, things that are confusing. Um, Patient endurance, uh, when we stand before the throne, when we stand before this picture of Jesus one day, patient endurance will be our story. Um, My wife recently shared a, a new album by Nicole Nordeman, uh, that called, that's called Every Mile Matters, and uh, she shared it while we were on vacation. And uh, I was unprepared, honestly, for uh, what I would hear. Nicole Norderman, if you're not familiar with her, is a singer-songwriter. Uh, just has a wonderful gift of telling stories with song. And the, and the song that's the, the title of the album is Every Mile Mattered. Um, and, and, and the idea that it gets at is that our Stories are not just a collection of random events that are somehow weaved together that we just kind of wander into. But they're actually something that God uses to save us and to mold us and to shape us, right? That, that God himself is active inside of our stories. And this is just kind of the tagline of the chorus. It says, every tear brought you here, every mile mattered. And I I can't help but wonder and think that this story and this picture for Jesus is um, for people that tend to think that their stories are over or that their stories have somehow taken um, a wrong turn somewhere and they're never going to be able to get back on the on-ramp. But this picture of Jesus is a picture of patient endurance for all people of all time. So, um, This picture is given to John. It says that he is um, a partner in the tribulation as he is suffering exile on the island of Patmos. That's a little island that's uh, off the coast of Turkey. Um, He was exiled there because of his faith. And you can imagine just John, if you know anything about him. He's the one that wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And, And he was known as the beloved disciple. I mean, he had a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. He was so defined by Jesus's love for him that he began to give that away to other people. If you read the language of the New Testament, the letters that he writes to the churches, he calls them dear children. There's something that he's really affectionate about. Um, He describes himself in this book as a brother and a partner in tribulation, that their story is his story. And he's bringing this picture of Jesus to bear on who they are and what they are going through. I mean, at this point in time, John is a very old man. He has seen a lot of things. He had seen all of his fellow disciples, the original followers of Jesus, be martyred at this point. And so you can imagine for him that this 
for him would seem like the end. And this is um, the Lord's Day. This is a Sunday. And he's probably just praying and meditating and worshiping. And really, quite honestly, just waiting to finish the race. And, and then all of a sudden, he has this vision of Jesus. And this vision of Jesus not only sustained him when he was in the midst of exile, but it also began to um, sustain and build local churches uh, throughout all of church history. So what John is going through and what these churches are going through, it's a, it's a level of persecution um, that, that's happening because they are out of step with the world. Right? So they're following Jesus down a certain path, the Roman Empire seems to be this overwhelming, daunting opposition that is coming to bear on them. And so the churches are beginning to fracture under the weight of persecution. The churches are beginning to um, come under the influence of a lot of false teaching. And you can imagine John in those moments wondering, like, was my life worth anything? Like, was... The things that I walk through and the things that I tried to build into people, are those things just going to kind of crumble to the ground? So there's a, a kind of persecution that exists, and I'm sure it created a sadness in John's heart, like a grief. Um, and I, I, we're not going to be able probably to identify with the persecution that goes on throughout the world, but... Um, as I've had the privilege of traveling over the last uh, year or so, meeting brothers from Nepal and India and talking to brothers um, in China and all over the world. I mean, there is a level of persecution that goes on in the world that we just simply can't identify with. But the book of Revelation is written to people like that so that they can stand up. I mean, it's the picture of Jesus is strong enough that those who are fighting and fleeing for their life can actually grow and be sustained and see the message go forward. But I tried to think and, and just grapple a little bit with what would it be like for us? Because there's going to be some ways as we in Jonesboro, Arkansas, try to follow Jesus um, and to see God's kingdom come in power, to see our city kind of break out of a nominal Christian existence. There's going to be some ways and some paths that we go down that persecution very much will um, be the norm for us. And I don't mean that uh, it's going to be anything other than something that's uncomfortable, uncomfortable for us socially. But there will come times as we're following Jesus in this city that we will need patient endurance. And so I just want to think about out loud with you some categories that we may need patient endurance. So you may find yourself very much just like John, wondering if what you have put your hands to is going to last. Is it going to endure? Is it going to make a difference? Well, um, if that's you, this vision of Jesus has something very specific to say to you. Um, I was thinking about parents and the need for patient endurance. Parenting is a daunting task. I think about it a lot. Um, parenting is purely by the grace of God. But for all of the parents in the room, patient endurance is going to be needed as you teach your children to follow Jesus in a world that tells them that they can do it all and be it all and have it all. Parenting in Jonesboro, as we follow Jesus, will be defined more by what you say no to than what you say yes to, right? There's going to be a, a way that we're going to have to evaluate. Are the things that I'm doing, do they bring us closer together as a family? Do they 
put us more in the mission of God? Do they help us to connect more and more with God's people, right? Because we live in a culture that says, hey, you can do it all, you can have it all, and you can be it all. But if we're going to teach people and we're going to be a group of people that follow Jesus, we're going to be defined more by the things that we say no to than the things that we say yes to. That will take patient endurance. Um, If you are a student, right, and you are starting back to college, you're not going to get a lot of pushback on following Jesus. I mean, this is a a Christian area. I mean, people baptize their pets here. It's totally fine if you're a new student at ASU. Like, you're not going to get any flack for following Jesus. But what you will get flack for, right, is if you decide that I want to use my singleness as a gift, that I want to live my life with wholehearted devotion to Jesus, that I want to break out of the nominal Christianity, right? Not, I mean, man, by all means, have fun, enjoy um, the years that God has given you, develop as a person. But I look back on that time, maybe when I was college-aged, and all the things that God was pleased to build inside of me, right? I mean, you don't want to be just like putting off life until some other season. God is now making you the person that you'll be. And that is countercultural, and that will take um, the need for patient endurance. Now, also we'll need patient endurance if you are on the older side of things. Now, I'm going to let you, uh, because I'm hopefully a wise pastor, determine if you are on the older side of things. But I'm beginning to think like an older person. It becomes normal in our city, in our country, and in our world, the older you get to slow down as you run the race, right? But all of the images of the New Testament are run the race with endurance, finish the race. And you can think about all of the people that fall away and all of the people um, that just kind of set it into cruise control. The book of Revelation and this vision of Jesus that we're going to look at in just a minute is meant to cause you to run the race until the end because there is real reward. There is something real and something lasting that's better than just living for yourself. Patient endurance is something that's essential to our story. Patient endurance builds Jesus' character into us and there's nothing that our city needs more than this. This quote in particular has sustained me over the last several years. Paul Tripp says this. He says, God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. So our stories, written, ordained, steered by God himself, will take us down the road that we need patient endurance in the midst of tribulation. And he's going to take us down roads that we would not anticipate to build into us things that we could never do on our own. Now, This almost sounds like you need to just get it all together and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and endure. This is the furthest thing from that. How does this kind of endurance happen? He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in 
Jesus. This is a patient endurance that happens to us as we are united to Jesus. We are walking the road that he's already walked on our behalf. We are walking the road um, that he has led the way on. We are walking the road following a crucified Savior who we, we sang about all morning, whose righteousness is our righteousness. Patient endurance happens as we continually fix our eyes and our hope and our faith on Jesus. Romans 5 says this, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means we have right standing with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we stand in grace and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and that's what we're talking about, and endurance produces character, and, can, and character produces hope. So where does hope come from? Hope comes from walking through things that you would have never chose on your own. But this is the, this is the promise, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So most of us would say, I hunger and I thirst for the love of God to be poured into my life through the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes we don't realize that that love becomes more near and more dear and more real to us as we walk and we have the need for patient endurance in tribulation with Jesus. Now, let's listen to and look at a a vision of Jesus that is big enough to sustain us as we walk out life in this present world. Brings me to my second point. The beauty of our hope is seeing Jesus as he is. The beauty of our hope is seeing Jesus as he is. So I've got a couple of images I want to show you. The first is um, Scotty Smith tells the story in uh, his book, Unveiled Hope, Uh, of the power of art, and in particular bad art, to inform our theology. Um, So um, you probably, I'm I'm not mocking this picture at all, but he he would say that this is a picture, uh, he, he grew up in the 1960s, he says Jesus has feathered back hair here and looks like the Breck girl, um, so that's a shampoo from the 1960s. Um, this is a picture of mostly an American, Americanized version of who Jesus is, right? You can even notice his light skin. I mean, he's almost, I would call him Anglo Jesus, right? So fast forward, all right, here's the, the next photo. This is what scientists would say probably is more accurate of what Jesus would have looked like. A Middle Eastern man. This is a vision of Jesus as a human. I think this lines up very closely with Isaiah chapter 53, where there's nothing, there's no beauty in him to attract us to him. A very common and an ordinary man. So your vision of Jesus could be maybe more informed by that. Uh, I want to show you a, a picture of how I view God oftentimes. This is a, this is a children's Bible, right? This is... Um, my mom read, this is, a, this is the exact Bible that my mom read to me. I was not a Christian growing up. But when I became a Christian and I started to try to picture who God was, like this is the image that would be burned into my mind, right? So what we think about Jesus profoundly affects who we are. It affects how we pray, and you can take that down. But what we're going to see more than Jesus just primarily being a human being, which he was. 
He walked the earth and dispensed mercy and healing and he taught. We, we not only need a picture of Jesus' humanity, but we also need a picture of his power and his majesty and his glory to sustain us. So let's look at a picture uh, that is meant to produce um, awe inside of us. Look at verses 12 through 18 with me. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And this is the effect. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And so I want to make this super clear. This is not a picture of what Jesus actually looks like. This is, um, this is apocalyptic literature. This is a description of the, uh, both who Jesus is in his character and the effect that it's supposed to have on us as his people, as we begin to encounter him in all of his beauty and all of his power and all of his majesty. Just even reading that description should cause our hearts to bow a little bit in humility at the king of glory. It says that John had this vision, he heard this voice that was as loud as many waters, and he turned and he saw some lampstands, so you can think about some candle abras, and you see one like a son of man. Now, that description may or may not be familiar to you. You can study this more on your own, but it is a picture that comes from Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. The son of man, there is a picture of the ancient of days, which represents God the Father, who gives all authority to Jesus, who is the son. He is the son of man. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he has a kingdom that will never end. Can you imagine the effect that that would have on the people that were hearing this for the first time, that they are being persecuted by the Roman government, that the emperor Domitian was having people slaughtered daily, to hear that there was one that was greater than him, that there was one that was seated on a throne and one that was walking in the midst of them who was greater, the son of man, that they were a part of a kingdom that would never fail. Right, These churches that were barely holding on for life, that they had a vision of being a part of a kingdom that could never fail. Like That's the effect that that's supposed to have on us. This is a picture of his sovereignty. This is a picture of his infinite sovereignty. This means that he is sovereign and he rules over everything in the universe. And it's a picture of his infinite sovereignty that we can trust in. Right? 
We don't just need to know that Jesus is close to us and that he's human and that he hears us. We actually need to know in the midst of situations that demand patient endurance that he actually can intervene, that he actually can do something about the things that we're walking in. This is the one that has been raised from the dead. So imagine the effect. John, who at one point in time was laying his head on Jesus' chest because he was the beloved disciple, now is falling at his feet because um, of the glory and the majesty of who he he was. Like, that's the effect. There are moments that we're going to need to know his nearness and his comfort that that comes from drawing near, but there's going to be also times where we need to be leveled by the beauty and the majesty and the awe of who he is. And if if I would say that we tend to err on one side, it would be um, Jesus's humanity and his nearness and his closeness. But we also simultaneously have to have a picture of his bigness and his majesty. We didn't go into this a lot last week, but Chapter 1, verse 5, describes Jesus as the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is absolute sovereignty over every ruler on this planet. The one that says that the ocean can only come this far also controls the affairs of men. And what comfort that can bring the original hearers, what comfort that should bring us as we look at our current political climate, as unstable as it is, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That doesn't mean that we're passive. That doesn't mean that we don't respond to injustice, but it does mean that we have one that's sitting on the throne and one that walks in the midst of us that is in control of everything. It says in the the book of Proverbs that the king's heart is in the Lord's hand and he turns it whatever way he wants. So we want to pray for our leaders and we want to pray that their hearts would be inclined to the things of God. That he would turn those things. But if not, what you're going to see is the book of Revelation plays out that persecution and injustice is an environment where the gospel of Jesus Christ flourishes. So we welcome and we pray for peace and we pray for justice, but we respond nonetheless because we have one that walks among us who is the Son of Man. He has eyes of fire. That means nothing escapes his gaze. No act of injustice. There's nothing that you are going through. He doesn't take coffee breaks. He's present with us as his people. He's watching over us with eyes of fire. The hairs of his head are white like wool. It's a picture of his infinite wisdom. It's not just that he's ancient, but it's that he has the wisdom and the skill. Not only is he powerful, but he wisely governs the affairs of men and he wisely governs our lives as well. So this picture of infinite sovereignty that we can trust in means that we as the people of God are watched over, we are kept, and we are loved by the king of the universe. That's a wonderful picture of his sovereignty, but it also is a picture of infinite mercy that we can run to. He's wearing this long robe, and most commentators agree that this robe is the robe of a high priest. He is our mediator. 
the difference why he can say fear not to John even though he's falling at his feet as though dead is because this one who died also lives again is a mediator between God and between man between the difference between God's holiness which is infinite and righteous and pure and our holiness is swallowed up by the mediator who is Jesus Christ so anytime that we encounter the holiness of God our natural response because we are flawed individuals is to shrink back into fear but then you have this picture of jesus who is the merciful high priest placing his hand on his friend's shoulder saying fear not so if you're here and you're more aware of your sins than you are this picture of your high priest the invitation for you this morning is to fear not this is an amazing picture and this is supposed to fuel endurance when you don't change as fast as you would like when your circumstances don't seem to add up we have a picture of a sovereign god who rules over the whole world rules over this church and rules over our lives but he's also merciful enough to dispense mercy in the midst of his kind rulership which brings me to my final point this morning jesus's presence sustains this church This may be one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture. It it says that the lampstands represent the seven churches. We'll talk about the seven stars beginning next week. But the seven lampstands represent His churches, which are representative of all churches for all times. Not only does He rule over these churches, it says that He walks with and among the churches. That His presence is is near and that he is real. I want to read you this uh, quote from Brian Johnson who wrote The Triumph of the Lamb. He describes, because it's very easy for us as we look at our city or we look at our church or we look at the world to think the church is somehow just barely hanging on. He says this, What appears to the naked eye on the plane of human history to be weak, helpless, poor, defeated congregations of Jesus' faithful servants Prove to be true overcomers who participate in the triumph of the lion who conquered as a lamb. So the reality is, regardless of what you see with your eyes, this church and churches in general are not just hanging on by a thread. They are sustained by the one that walks among them, right? And, and what you're going to see as this book plays out, that there's a, there's a marked moment where sometimes Jesus actually leaves the church behind because they've so abandoned what he stands for and his presence exits. So if that ever happens, I mean, God help us. But this is supposed to cause us to long for his presence to be active among us. Scotty Smith says this, he says, The purpose of this vision is not to leave John as a dead man, but to bring fresh life to his whole being and to give him assurance and hope as he confronts the crisis of his day. And so it's good for us to be comforted by the nearness and the kindness of God, but it's also wonderful for us to be um, freshly aware of the bigness and the majesty of God. And that God, who is Jesus, walks among us. He's present right now. 
He's addressing us with his mercy and his kindness. He's calling us to repentance and faith as his people. So you may be here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And you, you, maybe you had a view of Jesus that's more like some of those pictures that we've placed on the wall. This is someone that you can trust your entire life to. This is one that's thought about you before the foundation of the world. This is one that has set his love and his affection on you. He died yet he is alive. That's our hope. That's why we sing, this changes everything for us. This is not just some abstract story that we come together once a week. This is something that has physically raised us from the dead and changed our lives. And so as we look to the one whose presence is active among us, I want to I pray that he would fuel endurance among us. I want to go ahead and ask the band to come on up and join us as I close this in prayer. Um, I just want you to think about where do you need endurance right now? Where do you need patient endurance? Where do you need his presence to be bigger than your circumstance? Because we always are going to have one temptation or another. It's either to have our circumstance to be front and center or the unseen reality of who Jesus is become front and center. I just want you to think about where you need patient endurance and then let us look to this one who died and was raised. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you lead us and guide us and sustain us with a picture of you that's bigger than anything that we can imagine, that's more merciful than anything that we currently experience. I pray that that vision of you would swallow up our circumstances and that we would grow as your people. I pray that you would help us to understand and to know what grace tastes like. I pray that you would relieve fear and anxiety by giving us a bigger picture of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.